San Diego's favorite. Friday night, welcome in. Darren and Jack News Radio 600 Kogo. Darren Smith back with us on Monday here, off for the NCAA tournament during his day job over on Extra 1360. Back with us coming up on Monday night here, 7 o'clock. Travis Dale in for one more night for us. Great to have him with here after his debut on Darren and Jack one night ago, Thursday evening. Travis, it's hard to believe that two years ago tomorrow, the governor spoke here. We carried that for you here on Kogo that night, two years ago, March 19th. And he announced stay-at-home orders, which at first were very, very strict. Eventually were loosened a bit, but stayed in place for 15 months. And I always try and look back at these kinds of milestones where today you have Moderna asking for a fourth shot. It's incredible to see where we've come. But that would, Darren, looking boy, Darren and I were on the air that night, live, broadcasting separately, and it was March 19th, two years ago. Incredible. Travis Dale, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, appreciate you having me on again. Uh, happy to be here. And, uh, yeah, you're right. Two years ago, uh, it, it seems uh, insane to me. And it is one of those where were you kind of moments that you yeah. that you don't forget. Uh, I mean, I, I can remember exactly this timeline of when we were talking about logging down, uh, when we did lock down, and, and working here, they were saying, hey, if you can set up a studio at home, uh, go ahead and do it. And so we thought, oh, okay, well, let's give it a shot. And you set up a studio at home, and I I mean, it was literally one of these things I thought, well, maybe this goes on for a couple weeks. And uh, no, when when Newsom gave the announcement, it, well, like he said, went on for 15 months. It's absolutely incredible. That, I think, is my biggest disappointment in... Uh, disappointment is a strange word, perhaps, but the biggest, perhaps, regret or miscalculation that I have is believing people at the time and trying to work through problems in the immediate sense when the government wasn't going to go that way. Right, was going to keep things. It was, you know, it was okay. First, it was two weeks, and then the CDC said eight weeks. Right. Okay, eight right. weeks. We can do eight weeks. Right, we can do it. We can do. It. Let's get into it. Let's, you know. And then it became, well, we got to wait for vaccines, and that became a year. And then it was like, okay, well, now you wait for case counts to go down. Like it was just, it was, it was such a long process. And I, I remember it took me until early August to really realize how long this was going to be drawn out for, because they kept saying, all right, first two weeks, eight weeks, couple months, you're back at it. We're going to do sports again. We're going to do gatherings again. We're going to do this, this, and this, and it never materialized. And in fact, it didn't come back in California until June 15th of 2021. I think that's my biggest look back and perhaps miscalculation or disappointment from the last two years. Yeah, I don't think you're alone with that because, uh, I mean, when it first started, when we first talked about lockdown, we we were all in this together, remember? That was the hashtag, and uh, it was almost like this unifying force of, hey, we're going to beat this virus. Um, and, And for... A brief period, we were all on the same page with things, and then and then came the mass controversies, and like you said, the vaccines, and uh, it was what flattened the curve and stretched the curve that they kept, uh, you know, kept floating out there, and and like you said, those goalposts kept moving. Of how are we going to get to this end date, and and the end date didn't show up until just recently, really. I mean, it, it was. It was, you know, always out there in the future, and now we've switched from this pandemic to an endemic, and now we're just going to live with it, which is fine. That's that's great. That's where I feel like we need to be. But you're you're right. It was um it was a little bit disheartening, I suppose, to to not really feel like I know where we're headed with this and when we're going to get out of it. 
Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I don't have every answer. I, I, we are evaluating these things in real time. And I don't know if it would have served people to tell the general public, you're going to be locked down for a year and a half at yeah, that moment. Yeah, right? no, there, there would have been rise, uh, rising up right. against that as well. Uh, right. Because, yeah, there was people that, I don't want to be locked down at all, which, of course, you don't want to be locked down at all. Right. On On one hand... It's well, we don't want to lock you down. On the other hand, well, we got to keep it safe somehow, or at least give the appearance that we're doing it, whether or not you believe it's uh, working or not. That that's we're trying to do something. I mean, obviously there were a lot of unknowns, right? We don't know at the time. I remember people thought that oh, it's it spreads by touching surfaces, right. and it turns out it's an error. Like you know, nobody figured that out. I don't know. It, I get it. I get the unknown. First in a hundred years. Um, I just I wonder. You know, how much of this was crowd control at the beginning, two years ago, tomorrow night, and not shocking people with the fact that, hey, you're going to be living under this for a year and a half, 15 months. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a year and a half. You need to adjust your life, as opposed to giving people the hope of, all right, it'll be back in eight weeks, or it'll be back in two weeks, or, I don't know, it was an interesting look two years ago. Yeah, definitely, and, uh, you know, I remember a, a news story that we did here on Kogo, Cliff was doing the story uh, that there was an overturned truck on the eight, and it was filled with masks that somebody was trying to trying to sell, like on the yeah. black market. And it was at that moment I'm like, oh wow, this is this is going to be a problem. Yeah. So that was that was two years ago. Tomorrow, the governor ah, came on, amazing. announced that California was going to go. California was one of, I think, if not the first, they were one of the first. But I'm pretty sure that California was the first to do so at a statewide level. At that time, we had started limiting gatherings from you know 250 down to 50 down to 10, and then eventually staying at home. And that was it. That was the the start of the lockdown. Eventually, you got into late May. Things got lifted, and people, you know, started going out, and then you got locked back down in July, and then back into November with the, the color-coded system and the uh, mm-hmm. purple tier and all that through yeah. the holidays and the surge, you know, that eventually became a surge in January and February, the lifting in June. I don't know. It's it's we all know the history because we lived through it the last two years. Yeah, you know, the, the the thing that I forget, and as you start talking about this, I and thinking back of the time in March. Uh, I forgot what it was like when we went to the grocery store and we had to stand yeah. in line outside oh. and and there there was like an uh, easel that had a dry erase board on it that said we're out of flour, toilet paper, right. uh, apples, whatever it was and and you'd go to the store and just kind of see what they had and you'd go well I guess I can make uh, some kind of a pasta meal with this uh, and, and you just bought whatever they had and to think that. We, I mean, we're just not used to that in America. That's that's not something that we're used to seeing walking into a grocery store and seeing empty shelves. So, we, when 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 there was no toilet paper, that was a shock to the system. <laughs> right. I mean, this is something we'll tell our grandkids about. Yeah. Is, yeah. is how ridiculous this these for. I mean, again, it's very bad. It's a very real threat. It's a very real threat. A very real thing. But just how crazy it was. There, the supply chain issues, independent of. The pandemic itself really got exposed. Mm-hmm. The razor thin margins, the lack of any sort of stability. If one thing gets upended, the entire system crashes. Uh, the reliance upon foreign made items. China was making everything, all PPE, all pharmaceutical, like all these things. Nothing was being made here. There's the crazy supply chain issues. Those were all exposed in addition to the real medical threat. That everybody was dealing with. Right, right. And I don't know if there's been uh, a lot of progress in fixing that uh, being exposed, uh, you know, with the supply chain issues. It, 
I mean, we still have stuff backed up at the ports. We were looking for truck drivers, and it's it's uh, it's a crazy time. It's a good call. You know, I hope, boy, you hope that at least recent history gives you a chance to change. But I'm not sure how much of that's really going to make a difference. I wonder. You know, I, I wonder if we will make an adjustment. Will we make more things here, or will the fact that they are cheaper to make other places? drive the cost well i think it might be something that we start seeing more of uh you know you'll start seeing that that american goods you know flag on everything and uh and it will become popular but like most things it will probably fade over time and we'll go back to man it is way cheaper if i just buy this from china and have it have it shipped over uh which is unfortunate but I mean, that look like building a car. Building a car in Detroit costs a lot more money than building a car in Japan. So there's there's a lot more red tape. There's a lot more things that we scrutinize here in the United States saying, no, we, we want to make sure we follow these certain protocols because we want it safely built. We want it cleanly built, uh, so on and so forth. So there's just there's just more cost involved here in the United States. So I guess did we learn anything? Like what like did we learn anything from the last 2 years other than carrying around more hand sanitizer? <laughs> right. Uh, right? Washing your hands more like carrying around hand sanitizer so when you go to the gas station or the grocery store then you use it after you're done. Like other than carrying around hand sanitizer, did we learn anything? Did schools adjust? Did we adjust filtration systems and and cleanliness and buildings and uh, did we adjust the way that large gatherings take like I don't know, did we learn anything? Did we adjust anything over the last 2 years? I feel like we did. Um, I feel like that is happening, and we see that uh, quite a bit, actually. And, and yeah, look be, beyond the hand sanitizer right, of just, right. uh, I mean, look at how vigilant and hypervigilant we are of, uh, you know, keeping space between someone. Or if you're sick, uh, you're you're getting it checked out. I need to get yeah, tested. Or, yeah, you know, I don't want to go to work with whatever flu I have because I don't want to spread this virus. And uh i also think you've become just so much more aware of people who are uh uh what's the word i'm looking for here that uh uh you know are more susceptible of getting sick sure, sure, and sure. you know oh this this person has a uh, has cancer i want to make sure that i keep my distance i want to be very clean you know what uh it's just better if i don't show up at this party because i had a runny nose and it's and it's it's just more courteous, I feel like, in that in that sense. And we're seeing numbers of the flu. The flu numbers are, are just almost gone. I haven't heard of that in two years. Yeah, that's right. In fact, two years, they have been eliminated. Now, perhaps a lot of the people who were susceptible to that were also susceptible to the much more powerful respiratory illness we're dealing with in COVID. But yeah, yep, uh, yep. good. But I, I So hearing you say that is great, because I hope that stands. I hope that we all have a kind of trust, a public trust together, where it's like, oh, so-and-so can't make your birthday party because they're sick. Okay, let's let's accept that, right? Let's not yeah. like, oh, come on, yeah. you got to make, you know, come on. No, like, that's... He's lying. Right. Like, uh, that's good. We don't want this sick person around, even if it's a cold. We don't want that person around. It's the same in the workplace. You know, hopefully companies... And those in the higher ups are accepting of people who are legitimately sick, uh, and people are legitimately reporting being sick and want to actually take care of those around them and not taking advantage. So, like, hopefully those things are all coming to fruition. Hopefully we're taking care of ourselves and not putting ourselves in positions where we can both get sick or get others sick. More importantly, taking that personal responsibility. Well, I know I feel like that uh, I'm more aware of it. Uh, do you? Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. What I'm hoping is that you're right long term. Yeah, well, so so I, I I completely agree with you right now. 
I just hope that we as society continue those things and don't forget it or don't let other things push us aside and create the kind of pressure to do things while we are under the weather. Well, do you think it's just uh, our age group, our generation that feels that way? I mean, do you do the do our kids forget about it quicker? I don't know. I mean, I guess it all depends on how impactful this was to your life. Um, you know, did you lose a job? Did you lose income? Did you uh, lose? Uh, did you have somebody who got sick, unfortunately, or mm-hmm. passed away? Mm-hmm. Like, like how impactful this is? I lo- I also love your point about the protecting the young and the old, and protecting those who are you know who have cancer and diabetes and like these kind of things. Like, we need to do a better job of respecting those people in society and not infecting them, like yeah, protecting yeah. them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so that that part too. Uh, is something we hopefully have learned from this. Well, what I find interesting is my perspective of the of the pandemic is more on the lines of, uh, I mean, I don't want to go through that again, uh, but you know, let's let's just be aware of what's happening. And my kids are almost angry about it because of what happened with them in school, and you know, their uh, junior senior yeah. years were erased. There's no prom. There's uh, there's no uh, graduation. So it was just their their lives were upended of what they thought it was going to be, and they they have this this um just anger towards yeah. towards the virus i completely get it i completely again schools you know i don't know what the i don't know that we'll ever get an after action report from schools on you know how long we kept students out and what that impact was to them because I, I feel so bad mm-hmm. especially for seniors in high school high school students in general maybe you're going to college and you, you know, do something online instead it's just you know these are these are important moments in life in social emotional growth like there's just a lot going on there, and I don't think you get it from sitting behind the computer necessarily. So I, I don't know if we're able to figure out if that was good or bad, you know, and, and whether our lines have been drawn. But that is a shame. Yeah, and it's uh, they, like you said that important moments in in this social and and mental interactions in life that you miss out on. Uh, I you I agree with you. We're not going to see those effects for years and years. In fact, it may be a hundred years. And they're looking at the history books of going. Hey, the the pandemic did X Y Z to our our new greatest generation. Yeah, that's a great call. Yeah, a generation that's rapidly exploding in size and and getting ready to take over in the workforce and otherwise. Yeah, it's a shame. It's, it is so. Anyway, that was uh, was two years ago tomorrow. Coming up here, uh, the stay at home orders in California, March nineteenth of twenty twenty, and here we sit, March. 18th of 2022 i'll, I'll so, get a cake jack i'll get a yeah, cake. yeah yeah I'm, I'm all right i'm all right it's a period of history i don't quite enjoy reliving but you're right it's it's a significant one no doubt and we'll be in the history books all right well that's our first segment tonight travis dale is in for darren smith here this evening darren back with us on monday this radio app all right, welcome back, Darren and Jack. News Radio 600 Kogo. Darren Smith back with us on Monday after his NCAA tournament's vacation. Travis Dale is sitting in here as we take you toward 8 o'clock here tonight. So, Travis, we're just talking about looking back two years at the uh, the pandemic start. I, you know, I don't know which day people have in their minds. I, you know, I had things canceled on, I think it was March 9th. I started having things canceled. The pandemic was declared March 11th. And, of course, the stay-at-home orders, which were March 19th. That is two years ago tomorrow coming up. But now... You know, the advancements we have, just this week alone, you're looking at 
Moderna and Pfizer both asking for fourth shots to be given out. Pfizer's COVID pills can be created generically, even before there's any sort of time limits or royalties or anything like that. That's 35 different companies around the world that are producing the COVID pill from Pfizer that's keeping people out of the hospital at a 90% rate. So the advances we have right now are absolutely incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I and I look forward to seeing more and more of those. I think asking for a fourth shot is a big, big ask, uh, especially when it was billed as, hey, you can get the vaccine and it's, you're not going to get it. And then it kind of turned into, well, you're going to have to get two and you need the booster. And then there was, you know, some some information or some data showing that, well, uh, it you know, at least it keeps you out of the hospital. You can still get COVID, but you can still get out of the or you you're not put in the hospital because of it. It's just not so bad, which is great. That's great news. Definitely. Uh, if your doctor says, go get the shot, go get it. But, uh, man, a fourth shot, that's – because right now it's just for uh, the uh, the immunocompromised and elderly, maybe someone who, uh, who could get sick very easily. They're recommending the fourth shot, but they're trying to get the fourth for everyone, right? Yeah, so it's, so it's interesting. Pfizer applied it for just seniors. Okay. To your point, those who are at risk, seniors, 65 and older. But Moderna is asking for everybody 18 and older to be eligible. Now, the other thing is the CDC hasn't made any recommendations yet. So it's one thing to be approved. Okay. It's another thing to have a recommendation, and we actually don't have a booster mandate in this country. Mm-hmm. We don't have one. Right, right. So you, like, any sort of vaccine requirement still in the United States, in which there are many, many fewer now than there were even several weeks ago, even that was only two shots. So there was, no, there was never a booster mandate in the United States, if you can believe that. Yeah, and you know so, what? Uh, I actually had forgotten that that didn't come down. There was no yeah. mandate of that. So that's great news if our numbers keep falling. Uh, right. I mean, as long as they keep falling, that's great news. You know, when we see reports out of China that things are spiking again, it does make me get a little bit worried. I get a little concerned that, oh, gosh, we're not starting over again. Uh, but here we are. Yeah, and, and by the way, San Diego's at like 94% vaccination right yeah, now. Yeah, it's a massive just, number. It's ma- just a massive number. Like, you see all these, like, oh, you know, so-and-so, and I forget the countries, you know, Canada. I don't know if it's Canada, but some of you know, all these countries that, you know, actually, I think Canada's pretty high, but they're like some, they're like, oh, 66%, or, or you know, 50-something percent. San Diego's at 94%, That's, which is incredible. Gosh. Yeah, it's, it's kind of mind-blowing, because uh, Dr. Fauci, when, when they were asked about herd immunity, when I don't know what that was... December of 2020, I guess, when we first got the rollout of the vaccine, uh, he was talking herd immunity at around 70, and then it went up to 75, and then 80, and, yeah. and the, these were percentages where I went, there's no way we're getting to 85, 90%, and here we are, 94% vaccinated in San Diego. It's it's, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's really an incredible number. So that that is part of the reason why we're you know finally getting out of this. The last thing, by the way, is April 18th now possibly the last date because that's the federal airline mask mandate american airlines actually just today announced they were going to remove their alcohol ban on april 18th so i wonder if that will be the day that finally that last kind of pandemic requirement will be lifted Uh, another moment of just incredible uh ness is that a word incredible (laughs) i don't know it's just the banning alcohol on flights because I people were becoming unruly and took their masks off. That was the that was the official explanation, I suppose. Um, man, where where are we in a society sometimes when I think of that? But okay, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess yeah. Let's take the masks off. We're if we're if we can, let's do it. 
boy, and you're right. It goes back to something you said in the last segment about society needing to change to be more empathetic, taking care of each other, <laughs> like instead of just yelling at each other on airplanes, on shared transit space. Right. Yeah. Right. Come uh, out of the pandemic. And and I guess we also need to remember, though, is just because they can say you can take the mask off, you know you're going to have half the people sure. that are still going to wear a mask, and that's fine. Yep, I mean, is. just if they want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, don't wear the mask. But yep. just everybody has to just be accepting of whatever anyone's choice is. That's exactly right. And that's part of the learning process coming out of the pandemic. All right, Travis Dillon for Darren Smith here tonight. Taking it at 8 o'clock. News- All right, welcome back in. News Radio 600 Kogo. Darren and Jack here tonight. Jack Cronin with you. Darren Smith back on Monday after the NCAA tournament and Travis Dale. It's kind of to sit in for a second evening in a row, taking you to 8 o'clock here tonight. Kind well, enough. I, lucky enough here, uh, Jack. That's lucky right. enough. That's right. Exactly. So um, the uh, the president of the U.S., Joe Biden, and the president of China, Xi Jinping, today, Travis, had a two-hour video call. I imagine a lot of that's lag time and translators and whatnot, mm-hmm. but that's a long call for these two to be on because the U.S. is pretty concerned about China backing up Russia and lessening the blow of any sort of economic sanctions or lack of sales of things like oil. Um, If these countries start to go, yeah, we'll buy it from you, or even worse, we'll give you our military equipment as the West gives theirs to Ukraine. So that was a pretty big concern here today, although it seems like the two sides are playing nice coming out. Yeah, it definitely does have that feeling. Uh, It it does concern me a little bit when uh, Press Secretary Jin Psaki is asked, uh, did... Uh, President Xi call it an invasion, and she said, uh, yeah, we're, I'm not going to comment on that. And they asked her again, why aren't you going to comment on it? And she said, we don't speak for other countries, which I, I, we don't. I feel like we have before in the past. <laughs> we're, doing the time. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're doing it right now. Exactly, exactly. We're telling Russia you can't do that. Exactly. So it was, uh, to me, I felt like they didn't They didn't call it an invasion. They don't think this is an invasion, and that's, that's probably not a great sign. Uh, but you're right. If... Um, if if they do start buying oil from Russia or providing assistance and weapons to Russia, this is gonna this is gonna be a whole new ball game. Uh, but crossing our fingers that uh, President Biden, President Xi, they had a, they had a good talk and they were they come to an came to an agreement that this can't go any further. Yeah, I mean that was the line coming out of it. The official line from both countries was we don't want. A conflict like this—that mm-hmm. was the—that was the line. So okay, that sounds nice, right? Right? Like if we if we believe the Chinese, great. Then okay, great. Um, nobody wants a conflict. It's bad for everybody. Let's not do it. But then, like, there's the other things. Like, okay, is China going to try and extract something when it comes to Taiwan or anywhere else? Like, as a major superpower in the world, do they see this as an advantage to be taken? Not just in creating instability for their enemies in Europe and America by perhaps elongating this conflict and distracting and taking attention away, but also trying to make a couple of points of their own, especially when it comes to their contested waters and contested ideas. Yeah, and you hope that this doesn't turn into some sort of blueprint for, uh, oh, this is how we can acquire nations that don't want to be acquired uh, where, you know, if because if, currently the way it's working for Putin is uh, he he threatens with a, a nuclear bomb. And obviously we don't want nuclear war, so we don't want to do anything to provoke that. But but if he keeps just threatening it and we keep backing off to me, that's a, that that gives a green light on China to go. Well, we'll just do the same thing, boy. And that would be that would be an escalation. 
right, would be <laughs> to see one of your other, uh, not an outright enemy, but certainly a rival, mm-hmm. do something provocative while another conflict is going on mm-hmm. is a huge concern to go, wait a second here, because somebody's taking advantage of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you keep hearing this being floated out here of, uh, you know, President Zelensky in Ukraine is saying World War Three has already begun, uh, whether that is just a a uh, a piece of propaganda that he's throwing out there to create some sort of fear for us to go, we need to step in and make sure that World War III doesn't continue or become actual full-blown war, uh, or it really has, because there's going to be other things, other dominoes that fall down here, and you know China's going to do something. Iran and this nuclear deal, uh, you know, something occurs there. Uh, there. There's a lot of things that are are kind of simmering that you know could come to a boil. Right. I mean, again, the great point bringing up Iran, you know, launching missiles, missiles into Iraq, like, you know, taking it, you know, I don't know, again, if these are minor powers, you know, on the cusp of being nuclear or major powers who are trying to just rattle the saber a little bit mm-hmm. and just be like, hey, remember, we're here, too. Oh, and by the way, we're trying to negotiate to get oil out of Iran, which is not great, but maybe necessary. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. I, when a superpower like the West, Europe and uh, the U.S. in this case, are distracted by one conflict, it does present opportunities that others can take advantage of. And you're seeing a little bit of that as well in North Korea, where uh, Kim Jong-un has decided, hey, you know what, I think I'm going to do a ICBM test. I'm like, Wait, what? You One, you have an ICBM? Uh, and two, <laughs> right. uh, uh, when is that occurring? Right. So on the scale of like China first, Iran second, North Korea pretty far down the list on third on terms of threat. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah, not great for the Japanese no. or the Koreans who are like, uh, okay, here's this other crazy guy you got to worry about, too. Yeah. yeah. So, but, yeah. I, but on the list of crazy guys, I would have thought North Korea would have been tops uh, until, well, you know, Putin has, has sent some pretty inflammatory things just in the past couple days yeah again i don't you know it all depends on where do you think the line is where do is it you know is it another country that's not ukraine that gets bombed or invaded is it further atrocities going back to your point about the ukrainian president calling it world war three i don't mind like the the ukrainians right now are fighting for their lives yeah so they can say whatever they want right absolutely that's that's what they're trying to do yeah so you know, the, the question for the West is, at what point is there a line, or is there one? I mean, obviously it wasn't in Crimea in 2014, which, by the way, today marks eight years exactly since Crimea was invaded. So there, there wasn't obviously a line there. So where is it this time around, if it exists at all? Yeah, and with uh, marking that uh, anniversary in Crimea, uh, they Putin has a big rally. Uh, very, uh, I mean, it was massive. Did you see any uh, any footage of that? I try to stay away from it, but yes, I mean, this is a, again, the Russians are very, very good at whipping up, you know, uh, the misinformation, yeah. the, like, this is, their Russians are, it's one of their greatest strengths, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to having the geography that they control, the resources, et cetera, it's, it's one of their great strengths, and so they did that again here today. You know, it's interesting you say that you try to stay away from it, because uh, I hadn't really thought about it until I was trying to look at clips of it, and then people were writing on social media, don't share it, don't yeah. don't pull it up, uh, don't give it more hype than, than what it needs to be, and uh, it's incredible to me, the, the solidarity behind things of, hey, let's shut this down. 
It is interesting. Of course, it was probably meant for the Russian people, who are the ones who we talked about, Arnold Schwarzenegger, yesterday trying to break through on the information side. What the Ukrainians have done with their information war is try to break through and win the court of public opinion mm-hmm. you know, while also trying to win tank versus stinger missile. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to actually win uh, in, while your hospitals are being bombed while trying to get that message out. And, you know, uh, in, when you were talking about... Um uh, Ukrainians saying whatever they want to try to win the war. Yeah, uh, yeah. Y- yesterday, we had reports of a of a theater being blown up where there was a thousand people hunkered down, uh, and they wrote "children on the street, children on the on top of the building." And I thought, ah, oh, man, why would they bomb that? And then I thought, well, shoot, you just write "children on everything" at that point. Uh, hey, don't hey, don't bomb the Capitol. We got children inside. Uh, but uh, luckily, the, there were reports that everyone survived that. Which did is that confirmed? I don't know, but again, it's it's not great that you know even the, even the hospital casualties were not as high as they could have been. Yeah, in Mariupol, when but still, like bombing a hospital in general is not a military target. No, so no. whether whether it killed three people or three hundred people, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I agree. Yeah, there, there were civilians who died in that attack, but yeah, you're right. I mean, the the way the Ukrainians have been able to survive, adapt, and fight back in all of this has been incredible. Yeah, and uh, winning the court of public opinion, uh, they're yeah. doing so hand down, hands down. That's true. All right, well, uh, Travis Dale is in for Darren Smith here tonight. Jack Cronin with you. When we come back, gas prices in this war against the dollar have shifted a little bit here in Southern California. We'll explain that when we return. This is new. All right, welcome back. Darren and Jack, News Radio 600 Kogo. Darren Smith is back with us on Monday after the NCAA tournament's opening rounds. And Travis Dale is sitting in for a second night in a row here with one more segment to go here on Friday night. Well, you know, the gas price records have been awful. They have been one of the most terrible things to come out of this two-year stretch that we're talking about in the pandemic and now here into a global conflict. Russian, uh, you know, gas prices, worldwide speculation on oil prices, OPEC, all these things, they account for a good chunk, more than 50% of what you're paying at the pump. And it was this uncertainty in the market that just drove prices to ridiculous levels, well over $100, $125 a barrel, just terrible numbers. To give you a perspective, what you want them to be is around $30 or $40 a barrel, because that was the lowest prices back in the 14, 15, 16 range here earlier on a decade ago. So you want them to be down at that level and said they were $100 higher. Well, now oil prices have started to come down, and oil prices have led to lower gas prices across the country. You know, play, you know Every other state, a lot of the other states, not everyone, but a lot of other states, are actually seeing a couple of pennies drop in their gas prices while San Diego and California continue to set record highs. In fact, today is the 24th one in a row. Travis, talking with AAA here in Southern California today, um, AAA's got an app, Gas Buddy's got an app. If you're trying to find lower prices, use those tools to be a better consumer. But in talking to them, like they're saying, okay, now it's back on the oil companies, back on the refineries, the one in Torrance up here in the, in the L.A. area, about an hour, an hour, hour and a half north of us mm-hmm. in San Diego, here in Southern California, offline this week, cutting production this week, whether it's maintenance, real necessary maintenance, or something. like. Either way, now you're being impacted by California going back onto being its gasoline island, more so than the wholesale prices, which have driven us to these records now. So what is happening that's causing them to be offline? Is it uh, is it government regulation that they no, have to do something different? Or No, it's either a very real problem that needs to be fixed, you know, actual maintenance, it's okay. a dangerous operation, 
or it's just the time of year where that happens okay. and you know it, it's it raises the the price of gas is being sold so we don't know we don't know how long it will be in effect for but what AAA is saying is that now your gas prices are being more impacted by refinery issues than you, it's it's swinging back toward for California to have its usual problems rather than the Russia induced problems if that makes sense well yeah it makes sense uh, other than uh, I, how come we're not drilling for more here? Then that's well, you know that's just, we we keep running into this problem of being energy independent, of trying to get our own oil here. Uh, but I, I understand I understand the struggle. I see where yeah. we're at. It's just now now I'm starting to get angry. I don't know that California is going to be convinced to do such a thing. That's Correct. probably more of a nationwide call. Yeah, which I get. I mean, we should be. In trying to do so, I'm trying to do so responsibly, but trying to do so at the same time as looking to create, because your green goals, the green goals of the country, if they are solely green goals and not infiltrated by other things, green goals are a good thing because it eventually lessens your dependence on other countries like Russia or the Middle East or wherever else. But you have to do them in concert together. And those are not coming for years on end. The public is not shifting itself to solar and gas power and, and um and electric vehicles immediately that has to come and in the meantime that's where the calls for domestic production are in the united states well i think with this electric vehicle push the the other problem you have with that is the i mean just the cost of getting people into these electric vehicles not not talking about charging them but you you've got umpteen million cars out there that are combustible gas-powered motors and now you're telling people well the the way you're going to save money is if you go to electric Wait a minute! I I don't have an electric car. You right. got to be able to buy that first. And I know that uh, when the president was doing his State of the Union speech, he talked about you know lowering the cost. But even if you if you gave me a five thousand dollar check, that's still still only lowering the cost five thousand bucks. And I, I don't know what the plan is on that. I haven't heard anything new. No, and you're right. And that, that's why that's that's going to take decades in a sea change to get the American driving public to a point where they're comfortable driving electric to where it's cost-effective, because it's not right now, to where it's cost-effective, and it's convenient and necessary enough, because where we have charging stations right now, how long it takes to charge, the cost is great, but they don't have the infrastructure at the moment. That will get better, and that is a good thing for the future, because it drives down the demand, which drives down the prices, which is great. So that's all good for the future, but it's not happening on the timeline that I think other people think, like, Oh, gas prices are going up. Go buy an electric car. That's an unrealistic statement. Yeah, and, eventually, and, yes. Eventually, in five to ten years, absolutely. But it's not it, the timeline that people have right now is not making any sense. And you talk about that grid that you know when we drive around California, we go to the malls, we see charging stations. We yep. I, there's charging stations at the gas stations, uh, and and they're full. By the way, there there's always cars there. When you drive out of state, it starts to deplete real fast as you go east. In fact, uh, we were in Texas, and I thought. There's no place to charge anywhere. I'm, I'm sure your electric vehicle tells you where to go, but it was nothing like it was here in California. So California's doing a, a good job of putting that in and making that work, which, I mean, they have to because 2035, they're not going to sell a gas-powered car anymore, not a new one. That's right, not a new one in this state. Of course, you go to you know uh, Nevada or Arizona if you want right. to buy one. Right. But yes, in this particular state in 2035, which is only 13 years away, you won't be buying any new gas-powered cars, which is fine. I mean, on a timeline of 13 years... I, that's okay, uh, you know, it, because you can still get them somewhere else. You can still get them used, or 
by that point in time, hopefully a lot of the infrastructure and the cost, most importantly, you know, instead of charging, I mean, Tesla's prices went up. Yeah. So, of course, Teslas are, you know, unaffordable at the moment anyway for the average person. But those prices are going up. Yeah. If once prices come down to meet regular demand, then you can start to kind of see the kind of sea change. So in the meantime, what's going to be done to try and protect the prices as you try and make those goals in, say, 13 years, Mm -hmm. which might be a reasonable time. It might be still pretty quick, but might be more of a reasonable timeline. Yeah, and I always find it uh, a little bit fascinating to think about when, when when we look at the history of America and the and the American automobile, it is just enriched and and entrenched in our DNA of you know muscle cars and uh, grease lightning and and that sort of thing. And I and I think how are we going to move away from that? Except maybe it's just the younger generation that's just fine with I don't I don't care if it's an electric car, or a battery car. I don't need it to rev up and have a a big exhaust and blow out black smoke. Yeah, right. uh, so I, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I almost think it will take a generation of just trying to make that change. Uh, where in, in 13 years, yes, there may be an electric car that is is 6,000 bucks and it's a, it's a beautiful car and it will get a thousand miles on a charge. I don't know if we can get there with it with a lithium battery, but I guess we'll see. Right, and it's a good point. I think there will be. I think the, a new generation, a younger generation, would be more accepting of that. You're right, um, but it has to be right. Right now, Tesla takes 45 minutes to charge. Yeah, like that. You can't. You know, that's stopping yeah. a gas station for 45 minutes doesn't make any sense. Yeah, or an electric no. station without a doubt. So those things have to change. Hopefully, it's on the scale of 10 to 20 years, but it's not going to happen overnight. And so that's where you hope that production ramps up to fill in the gap. Until then. And that's something that the rest of the country might have to do instead of here in California. But we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, that was the interesting part from AAA is that now, you know, again, be a better consumer for the moment because you're trying to drive those prices down as much as you can as the market returns from the disruption in Ukraine and in Russia. Travis Dale, thank you so much for your time, brother. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Happy Friday. Likewise, man. All right, so Travis Dale sitting in the last two nights. Thanks to him. Thanks to Lou Penrose as well. As Darren's been off for the NCAA tournament, he will join us coming up on Monday. We'll see you at 7 o'clock right here.